We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. Good morning. This this first thing I want to say is meaningless. It's just a realization that I had last week, and it struck me again this week, so I'll share it. Flo always plays a little tune for the kids when they're coming up, when they're going out. For the last two weeks, she's been playing a particular tune for the kids when they go out, and I know what it is. It's, I will never march in the infantry, ride in the cat. That's not what she's playing. And I suddenly realized that it's the exact same tune as the old gray mare. She ain't what she used to be. I, I don't, it means nothing. Just... <laughs> it was not directed at you personally, Flo. It's an observation that I had, so I pass it along. Now, I'll tell you one that may mean something, or I hope it does, as we continue with the, the message. Um, there will be, uh, I hope, a murder mystery dinner theater come April. We had to cancel it for last year. Two years ago, we had one, and I was in it, and I inherited the part that is known as the wild card. That part was a worldly wise but morally foolish Las Vegas lounge singer named Shecky who was using a local talk show format to try to launch his new career as a country singer in the heartland. And Shecky was a particular kind of person. I had a lot of fun playing him. He was rude and dismissive and self-centered. And I, I just milked that part for all that it was worth and had a lot of fun with it. And afterwards... A retired school teacher, I will not mention her name, but a retired school teacher from East Canton came to me and said, I had all of your children in class, and watching your performance tonight explains a lot. She said, (laughs) you may have heard this, the past is prelude to the present. Keep that thought in mind. I'm continuing in this series that I have launched on the ministry of the prophet Elisha, which strikes me as a much neglected portion of scripture because it either embarrasses us or we just don't understand the point of things. I did the worst one first last week, the baldy jokes and the bear mauling, and went went through that and tried to help us understand it better. I'm going to do a second one today. And and I had Bill just read a couple of verses where the kings are gathered and the one king says, is there no prophet of the Lord that we can call on? And he's told, well, there is this Elisha guy. Fine, let's go talk to Elisha. Lay out just a little bit of context here and then tell the larger story story that goes behind this. We are dealing with the time of the split kingdom, and you know that under Saul and David and Solomon, it was all one thing, the kingdom of Israel. But in the day of Solomon's son, it split, 
And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became the king of the southern kingdom, Judah. And a member of Solomon's court, Jeroboam, became the king of the northern kingdom, Israel. And they were different in every way. They're in different sides of the country. They have different religious practices because in Judah they continued mostly to worship Yahweh God. But up in Israel, Jeroboam started out with a golden calf in his own separate temple and then built another place down in the south as a worship center. And they worshiped the golden calf, but they also worshiped the Baals of the other peoples that lived in the land and the Asherahs, the fertility goddess, and Moloch and every rock and tree and lizard and whatever else. They just worshiped this big multiplicity of gods. Among them they counted Yahweh. They worshiped Yahweh, but only as one of many gods. And they had separate economies, and everything was different now between Israel and Judah. The kings in this chapter are Jehoram, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, the more idolatrous kingdom. He is the ninth king of the northern split from the kingdom. He is the second son of a guy whose name you know better, Ahab. Ahab died. Ahab's oldest son, Ahaziah, was king for a little time. He died without child. And so the younger son, Jehoram, came to the throne, king number nine of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom. The throne of David, the temple. More closely, at least, worshippers of the one true God. Jehoshaphat, king number four of the southern kingdom. Jehoram, when all is said and done, the evaluation he gets in the Bible is this. Well, he did evil all the days of his life, but he was not quite as bad as his parents. What a legacy, right? You stink, but your parents stunk worse. Ahab and Jezebel. You, you, you trimmed just a little bit off the worship of idols in your nation, but you kept most of it. You, you were not as bad as your folks, but still bad. Jehoshaphat, when he gets his evaluation in the Bible, says he tried hard to honor God all the days of his life, but he had these two failings. Number one, he never did completely eradicate the worship of the Baals from the land. He tried, but it survived in this hollow and on that hill, and he, he just never got it all cleaned up. Number two, he kept trying to make peace with the house of Ahab, which he oughtn't to have done. And I'll tell you more about that as we go, but There we have the context. And now I need to say this. The action in this story is taken for the sake of Jehoshaphat, the fourth king of the southern kingdom, who tried hard all the days of his life to honor God, even if he had those two failings.
The action in this story is for his sake. Jehoram, the king of the northern kingdom, just is kind of passing through on on one view. So you can't really understand what is happening at this juncture of Jehoshaphat's life without understanding how he came here and where he was going from here. So this complaint against Jehoshaphat that he tried to make peace with the house of Ahab, the northern kingdom, Israel. Let me tell you about the first time that he made this attempt. It was in the days of Jehoram's father, Ahab, And Ahab decided that he wanted to go to war with the Arameans, but he did not want to go to war alone. So he sends word to Jehoshaphat in the neighboring southern kingdom and says, Will you join me in this fight with the Arameans? And Jehoshaphat says, Yes, I will. But before they launch the war, Jehoshaphat says, Is there not a prophet of God? who can give us a word about this before we just take off blindly? And Ahab says, prophets, I'm loaded with them, hundreds of them. And Ahab's prophets, as I tried to help understand earlier, are general religionists. They serve every god and all gods, and they think they can speak for any god. If you want to know what Baal thinks about this, we're your guys. If you want to know what Moloch thinks about this, we're your guys. And if you want to know what Yahweh thinks about this, we can tell you that too, because we're equal opportunity. And we will speak for any God and give you that God's word. I want you to imagine this if instead of being a dedicated minister of the gospel, I were a general religionist. Why don't you try to imagine that on Monday I lead a Jainist service elsewhere and preach the virtues of veganism and harmony with nature. And on Tuesday I don my monk's robe and get together with a Buddhist congregation where we contemplate a butterfly in terms of reincarnation. And on Wednesday, I don my Islamic cleric get-up and preach to another congregation about the value of jihad. And on Thursday, I put on a big pointy hat with stars and moons, and I write my astrology column for all the local newspapers. And on Friday, I take my mitre and staff and get together with a Greek Orthodox congregation somewhere and sing the sermon in Greek. And then on Saturday, because to say I believe all these things is essentially the same as to say that I believe none of these things. So on Saturday, I get together with the atheist church. That's a thing. And I preach a nice, secular, humanist homily 
on some essay of Bertrand Russell's. And then on Sunday, I come here to give you the gospel. Now let me just ask, if that were my life, how many of you would be interested in hearing the gospel from me? None. And you would be right. But these are the guys that Ahab brings in to give the word that Jehoshaphat requires. He brings in his prophets who will worship all gods and claim to be able to speak for any god. And they say, victory is assured. Go forth to war. You've got this handled. And the one prophet named Zedekiah puts a set of iron horns on his head and begins to pretend that he's a bull. He said, you will gore the Arameans like this and like that. You'll just wipe them out. And Jehoshaphat says, well, this is all very interesting, but I meant a prophet of Yahweh, a guy who is just exclusively a prophet of Yahweh. Isn't there somebody like that that we could hear from? And Ahab says, well, there's this one guy. His name is Micaiah. But he's never nice to me. And he never forecasts anything that will be advantageous to me. And so I just don't like him very much. But if you insist, and Micaiah is brought in, and he begins with what apparently the kings understood to be something of an ironic or sarcastic statement. He says, oh yes, this is a great idea, go for it. I say, go for it like the giant spider in the Skittles commercial, if you've ever seen that. I say, go for it. And they hear the sarcasm, and Ahab says, no, why don't you tell me what you really think? Okay, fine. God is using all these prophets of yours to tempt you into going to war so you can get killed. And if you go to war, you're going to get killed. You'll find all this in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, by the way, if you if you wanted to read this part of the story. You go to war, you're going to die, Ahab. And in his wisdom, Ahab has Micaiah thrown into jail to be held as a hostage against his safe return and goes off to war anyway and cleverly disguises himself as a common soldier so that the enemies will not recognize that he is the king and thus have no reason to try to kill him in particular as long as he stays off the front line and this is his brilliant plan but a stray arrow finds him and pierces the little juncture in his armor. Ahab went off to war against the word of God and he did not come home. Now I tell you that story because that's the first time that Jehoshaphat tried to make peace with the house of Ahab. The story that we're considering today in 2 Kings chapter 3 is the second time that Jehoshaphat tries to make peace with the house of Ahab. And here's the way this one goes. Jehoram, 
second son of Ahab, now on the throne, has been receiving tribute from the Moabites who had been subjugated by his dad Ahab, but they're looking over here now saying, you know, I bet he's not nearly as strong as his dad and his older brother. No more tribute for you, pal. And he says, I need to go to war with the Moabites and demand that they start sending tribute again, but I don't want to go by myself, so I'm going to send a message down to Jehoshaphat and say, won't you go to war with me? And Jehoshaphat says, yes, I'll go to war with you, and he also recruits the king of Edom, and the three of them together form an alliance, Israel, Judah, and Edom, and they're ready to go to war, and they're taking the desert road, but all the familiar water holes are dried up, and by the time they reach a field from which they can stage the battle, they are perishing of thirst. The soldiers, the camels that were carrying the gear, the livestock that has been brought to feed them on their campaign, nobody has any water. And the question becomes this, is God going to deliver all three of our kingdoms into the hands of the Moabites for lack of water? And Jehoshaphat says, is there not a prophet of God? That we can ask before we continue? Well, yes, there is one. His name is Elisha. And so we go to consult Elisha. And Elisha turns his head from Jehoram, the idolatrous leader of the idolatrous northern kingdom, says, I won't even look at you. And Jehoram says, yeah, but this is one of your kind of guys over here in Jehoshaphat. He's a true believer in in your God. Are you going to let us all perish together? And Elisha says, for the sake of Jehoshaphat, I will give you the word of God. And here it is. Water on the way. Dig trenches. Dig lots of trenches. You won't feel the wind. You won't see the clouds. You won't know that it's raining, but water is going to flow into this area and fill the trenches you dig. There is this that I have to skip over quickly. Prepare for the miraculous power of God to be exercised. Dig the trenches. And when the water comes... This is your sign. Launch your war. And overthrow every village, every choice town, every fortified city of the Moabites. Overthrow them all when the water comes. This is your sign. Overthrow them all. This is your objective. This is the word of the Lord. For the sake of Jehoshaphat. And the water comes. And the trenches are filled. And to cut short a little bit, the campaign is launched. And they drive the Moabites before them like 
chaff in the wind. There is barely any resistance. It is a full rout and retreat. And they chase them all the way to their fortified capital, the last city they still hold. And there the king of the Moabites in his desperation, seeing that the end is near, climbs to the top of the city wall. And in full sight of friend and foe, he sacrifices his son who was to reign after him to his pagan God. If this might be the thing that will turn the tide. And then it says, great wrath fell on the Israelites. And I take that to mean that this action by the king of Moab so stirred the Moabites that they ceased to be a dispirited, hopeless, retreating mob and turned and fought like men. And the alliance of the forces of Israel and Judah and Edom said to themselves, holy smokes, this is a real fight now. Until now it's been chasing people and watching their backs and shooting them down. But this is a real fight. And they all went home. And the capital was left untouched. For whose sake was the word of God given? Jehoshaphat. And what was the word given? Conquer every village, every choice town, every fortified city of the Moabites. And as long as it was easy, everybody was in. But it turns into a real fight. And they all quit. How many of you believe that if the king of Israel and the king of Edom had went home, but Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehoshaphat alone stayed because after all, this is what God said to do. If Jehoshaphat had stayed and fought alone, how many of you believe that the word of the Lord would have still been fulfilled? I believe that it would. Of course it would. The prophecy was given for the sake of Jehoshaphat, but he went home. Word of the Lord received, mandate of the Lord not fulfilled. The Moabites would not forget the greatest trial in the entire reign of Jehoshaphat came shortly afterward when the Moabites recruited to them, the, I realize there's a lot of ites. When the Moabites recruited to their aid the Ammonites and the Syrians and set out to get revenge against Jehoshaphat because the word was out. It was for his sake that the word of God was given and that we were almost dispossessed of our entire kingdom. We're going to make our own three-party Elijah, I can't say it. 
Alliance. Yes, alliance. Thank you. Well, Elijah, Elisha, alliance. It was throwing me off there. We're going to make our own three-party alliance, and we're going to march down to Jerusalem. We're going to show them what it feels like to have a big horde surrounding your city, and you're locked inside the gates. Here it is, fellas. How do you like it? But Jehoshaphat doesn't like it. He is near despair. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And there's no help from his old buddies up north. And he says, Isn't there a prophet of God that I can talk to? And the prophet comes. And he delivers the word of the Lord to Jehoshaphat. He says, you are to fast for a certain period of time. And Jehoshaphat did. In the old kids musical, it says that fat, fat Jehoshaphat became flat, flat Jehoshaphat from fasting. So at the end of your fast, you lead your army out from your protective walls And you advance on the enemy, but you put the choir, get this guys, the praise team in front. With their guitars and their mandolins and uh, uh, Bill would have to strap the bass drum on, I guess. But uh, you, 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 and you put these guys in front and you advance toward the enemy and victory will be yours. And again, to shorten the story because it has to end somewhere. Victory is given. And Jehoshaphat is saved not only from the alliance of three pagan kings, but he is saved from his own previous mistake when he did not fulfill the word of the Lord given for his sake. There are lessons that need to be learned. As I told you in the previous story about the bears with Elisha, the prophets of God and the prophets of Baal needed to learn a lesson, and for each of them it was the same lesson. It was not Elijah who had been big and powerful and special. It was the God who stood behind Elijah, and that same God stands behind Elisha, and that same God will stand behind his chosen representative in the future. It is not the man of God. It is the God of the man. That lesson needed to be learned. In this story, at this crucial juncture in the life of Jehoshaphat, and his alliance with Jehoram. There are lessons that need to be learned. And Elisha is the man of God to bring the word at the crucial hour. Jehoshaphat needs to learn a lesson. Quit having alliances with the house of Ahab. Knock it off. This is one of the two black marks against his reign. Oh, I wish he had learned. When he died, 
his son Jehoram, and I know that it's the same name as that other Jehoram. You had a Jehoram who was king in the northern kingdom, who was the son of Ahab, and another Jehoram who is the son of Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom who becomes king, and, and uh, it's not my fault. So just get it. There's two, there's two Jehorams. Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram. Jehoshaphat married him off. Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. I wish I could take the time to tell the next decade like I have told the last decade of the history, but just get this, nothing good comes from the marriage of the son of Jehoshaphat to the daughter of Ahab. In fact, she undoes all the good that he did in his lifetime. All his intent to honor God, undone because he did not learn the lesson and quit making peace with the house of Ahab. Beyond that, There is a lesson that needs to be learned by all the kings present at that time. Not only victory at the moment, but peace, safety, prosperity for the nation that you lead depends on this. The king must walk with God. When the shepherd walks with God... The flock is safe and blessed. Jehoram in the north did not learn that lesson. Jehoshaphat and Jehoram in the south did not totally learn it either. And it led to terrible consequences for both their flocks. Because when the shepherd walks with God, then... The flock is safe. Oh, that our leaders would learn this lesson. Because if they walked with God, we would be blessed. And the man of God needs to stand at the crucial hour and tell them so. May the man of God always be there. Well, I realize I'm not speaking directly to the President of the United States or the Governor of Ohio. Or probably other offices descending in authority. But I would get to a point where I hit each of you because each of you is a leader of something in your family in your Gideon's organization, in your civics club, in your vocation, in this congregation. Each of you is the leader of some flock. And here's what you need to know. When the shepherd walks with God, the flock is blessed. I don't know that our 
national leaders will learn this lesson. That I stand as the man of God for this hour. In this place. And I tell you that we need to learn it. Because there will be no safety and no blessing otherwise. The past is prelude to the present. Want your grandchildren to be blessed? Walk with God today. Want your community to be blessed? Walk with God today. Walk with Him all days. All the days of your life. And though there be trial, all will be well. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.